Hello, this is Dr. Paul Cottrell, and I'm going to be discussing the, the book from Adair Turner, the, Between the Debt and the Devil, Money, Credit, and Fixing Global Finance. So I finished reading his book, and I've met him twice at INET. He was a um, one of the speakers at INET. It's a three-day event. I've went to two of them out of the, I think they've had five or six so far. Um, the last time I saw him was in Toronto. I think it was two years ago. And he was talking about the possibilities of using uh, monetization of the, of the currency to be able to help stimulate the world world economy in these different developed nations. Eurozone, the US, Japan. So um, let me give you my take on his book. I thought the book was probably at a last year undergrad level or maybe first year graduate level. Um, so it was accessible to a larger audience if they have some understanding of economics. They don't have to have a degree in it, but it's not a simple book, but it's not an overly complex one. So with that in mind, um, I've also read Ingrid Green's book, I think it's his name, and uh, the exuberant, I think it was called the exuberant privilege, talking about the dollar and its unique position in the world. It's about at that level. Um, so some of the things that I want to bring up in the book, it, it, it has a good description of how debt comes in, into being. We have debt that's um, issued by the federal government through bonds. There's, so that's the public debt. There is the private debt where you have mortgages, credit cards, you know, that sort of thing. And how through the um, the complex financial engineering that was taking place at these at these institutions to reduce risk or to manage risk, at least in theory, that by securitization of these debt products, that you would be able to reduce the risk and produce more of this. And the reality was is that by producing more you were building more systemic risk in, in the system. So for example, with mortgages, there's cash flows. People pay, people take on a mortgage and they pay a bank, right? Well, the bank is holding the mortgage. Well, if you do securitization, that means that you're basically putting a pool of mortgages together and by having a pool of mortgages, you reduce the, the potential risk um, of, of uh, default. If you only had one mortgage, you have high risk of default, right? But if you pool them together, 
then you would be able to minimize risk because you would have more of a population within that that securitization and then they that that product that financial engineer product is actually sold on the market so the bank may be holding the mortgage backed security and they they securitize the actual security and end up end up um, moving the security into the market and people buy it right so what was happening is, is that this was building up and building up then on top of it they ended up having securitization where you could take insurance on certain defaults so let's say for example a, you could do a CDO, a credit default um, uh, obligation, or you could do a, a CDS, a credit default swap, where you could buy insurance policy at, let's say, AIG, and you would be able to bet that a certain company might go under and, and not actually have assets to really need to be insured the private person can't really do that they can't go and insure something they don't really own but in the way the financial world works in the CDO market and the CDS market you can do that and you could do CDO squares where basic basically or CDO cubes would basically mean that a credit default of a credit default, of a credit default. So you can see that this, this system became more and more fragile by this in, the financial engineering that was taking place. So he talks a little bit about this over-securitization and not fully understanding the risks associated with that securitization as time went on. So the, the magnitude of the problem um, in, the, in, in the mass securitization that was taking place the also the the problem with uh, households to increase their actual consumption or to maintain their actual consumption had to take on more and more debt so their real their real income wasn't really growing so people were taking out if the house was uh, gaining in value uh, primarily because assets you know housing assets are somewhat um, fixed right in terms of quantity and there was more and more demand out there because of more loans were being issued then it led to a speculative equilibrium and it there was a bidding up of the price of the house well the banks didn't care they had they they were funding the, the, the loaning process, but they weren't even holding it on to under their balance sheet. They were just securitizing it. So they were making money through fees and, and, and structuring, uh, securitization structures, and was passing on the debt to other holders. Um, that's one issue. Uh, the other is people didn't realize that a lot of the products that they were going into were, were um, adjusted mortgages the, the it wasn't a fixed mortgage it was adjusted mortgage so the ones that are subprime they 
they were really affected by this. As the rates went up, they couldn't afford it. It was marginal that they could afford it at the beginning. And then, you know, the subprime world started to, to collapse and it snowballed into even the prime mortgages because the whole economy was starting to slow down. And the, the commercial paper market, especially during the crisis, 2007, 2008, the commercial paper market started to freeze up. So even corporations that may only have 30 days or 45 days of floating um, cash on hand, the, you know, large corporations couldn't access the, the commercial paper market. So companies started to lay off and world trade was starting to slow down, if not totally freeze up. So they caused a huge problem. So one part of the book is explaining not not truly understanding the, the, the systemic risk as the securitization and the mortgages started to increase, how that was a ticking time bomb in the, in the economy. The other part of it is the response by the governments. Do you do mass uh, stimulus, monetary stimulus? Um, do you do mass tax cuts? You know, how do you how do you manage this? Well, what happened with most of the major banks were they went into the market and they bought bonds and or other other assets um, and stimulated the economy by putting in money that was based on what they they bought now what they bought was a lot of times had a haircut to it and it was discounted but the money was then flowed into the banks and then the banks were healed somewhat um, but throughout the the crisis there wasn't that much of a money transmission to the population the money velocity wasn't wasn't there so not a lot of loan growth because there were so many defaults in non in in non productive gdp loans what happened was that the the businesses and good lender uh, good uh, borrowers weren't able to get money because there was too much of a tightening of 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 loans by the banking industry, so the money velocity wasn't there. So even so, basically the bailout was not really for the, the population; it was really for the banking industry to heal. And a lot of it went into speculative uh, trading, and hot money flowed overseas and went into markets, and um, um, the euro market started to climb up. It weakened the dollar it strengthened the the euro it went into china so it strengthened their market and then fast forward to about 2014 2015 and you start seeing the reversal taking place where the dollar smile so the dollar rose really high during the the crisis then the the quantitative easing program started and it started to go down and the other currency started to rise and then the dollar started to climb again and so right now we're at you know near record highs of uh you know at least not record highs but near relatively high valuations of the dollar weak oil and 
you know, we're already now looking at possibly a recession in 2016, which leads me to believe that the actual um, dollar will start to go down again, that we may be actually seeing the in, the end signs of the dollar smile. But the book, you know, talks about the, the securitization, you know, how risk wasn't really fully uh, assessed because of the bar modeling that took place. Most of it was some, like a normal distribution, assuming that rates of default were normally distributed and not realizing that it's not, it's, it's, it's skewed. The actual defaults are skewed. Once defaults start, it can snowball and accelerate and it's not normally distributed. So that was one of the theoretical um, fallacies of the financial engineering that was taking place with the securitization. Now, the, the government, um, he's proposing, and I heard him speak at INET about this, he seemed to be at INET back in 2013 or so, he was, uh, seems as though he was promoting the idea of monetization of the debt. And why are we in like a, like a secular stagnation? And Richard Kuu, he promoted the idea of balance sheet recession where there's too much of a debt overhang, there's too much debt on a personal level, at a corporate level, and when a recession really hits, you start, you start, um, trying to deleverage the balance sheet. And when you deleverage, you're actually not investing in your business. You're not um, going and buying bigger things or more things. So the economy is somewhat starting to deflate. There, the aggregate demand starts to go down. And when the aggregate demand starts to go down, you start seeing uh, GDP growth to be uh, anemic, if not negative. So when you have this balance sheet deleveraging on top of the lack of uh, money velocity from the banks, you don't really see a recovery from the policies that the central banks were instituting. So we're, we're kind of sensing another relapse. We saw a relapse in Japan for almost two decades. Part of that was orchestrated, part of it's not. Now, the, you see the crash in China. With the, it grew way too fast, and it looks like they did a lot of uh, non-productive, speculative loan-type stuff in the housing market to build up their cities. So that's one issue. And Europe hasn't really gotten out of its crazy mess because a lot of the peripheral nations still are heavily indebted and there doesn't seem to be real any uh, true uh, recovery because you're at near zero if not negative interest rates. So, so you, we, have, we have a very tenuous situation where Europe is still a problem China is a problem now, Japan is still in deflation, and the United States is looking like it's going into a recession. Now, what does he propose? He, he, you know, he proposed at INET, and I think when he was, he was just starting the, 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 the 
structure of the book probably when he was speaking and I know. But the idea is, is of, well, there's some possibilities that they can, that the government can do, um, roughly three, but he was really promoting the, the monetization. Now, monetization is basically the idea where you um, basically take the debt, the central bank takes, buys the debt, right? Like we do in quantitative easing, but then they sells the debt it, when it starts to unwind quantitative easing. Well, you never unwind it. You keep it on the balance sheet, so there's permanent I increase in, in money. So that's what is called the monetization of debt. Now, when governments want to fund their operations, um, you could fund it through taxation or you can fund it through money creation. And he's promoting the idea that you can fund these things through uh, money creation. The problem is, is that once you start trying to reach your certain GDP target or inflation target, when the government is spending, in one, it needs to spend for GDP purposes, not non-GDP purposes, because then, then the society becomes less productive. But when they do um, uh, do fiscal stimulus, then the if they do fiscal stimulus, then they would um, have the um, the the bank actually issue debt or not debt issue money. They can just plug it right into the, the monetary system, and you're going to grow the economy, but by not increasing taxation, but you're basically eroding the purchasing power of the of the dollar. Now in deflationary situations that's okay. But when when government gets too used to doing this, then you'd have uh, more inflationary conditions. And that's that's an issue and, and we've had hyperinflation in other in other countries. So he's suggesting, you know, the possibility of using monetary um, means to absolve debt to try to get out of secular stagnation. Now, when we look at trying to find the actual page, Okay, so there's three basic options that he's proposing in the book, and this is in Chapter 14. The helicopter option that Bernanke did, which was basically just cr create a lot of money, and you create a lot of money by buying, purchasing assets and, and pumping it into the system. The problem is, is that you're not really controlling how the banks are loaning those out. Then there is this public public debt write-off where the bank is buy, borrowing the debt, buying the debt, I'm sorry, the bank is, the central bank is buying the debt and it, it ends up um, um, basically saying, okay, we're not going to issue it back into the market and, and extinguish the money that was already produced. So 
you know, it, it, it really doesn't matter. They're just, it's just like a write-off. They're, they're writing, writing off the debt and monetizing it. And then the, there's this idea of bank recapitalization. And the bank recapitalization idea would be um, banks have a certain capital requirement, especially through this Basel III agreement. Um, so what that basically means is that if you if you're a bank, you have to have X amount of capital, um, and if it goes below that, that capital, you have to raise it. Either you raise it through equity issuance, and you raise the funds that way. Um, um, the owners of the bank would put money into the bank if it was a smaller bank, but you have to, there's capital requirements, or what they could do is reduce their, their debt and raise their raise their their capital that way build up their capital um, sell off certain assets and put it, put them in a reserve so they adjust the balance sheet basically to uh, to get to the capitalization um, but he mentions here however public capitalization is financed by the central bank through a permanent increase in central money central bank money. The problem of future debt sustainability does not arise even for those who worry a lot about debt monetization. This option might be acceptable. Bernanke's helicopter money drop may be unacceptable if it takes the form of tax cuts and public expenditure increases. Um, so, you know, the Bernanke's method was, okay, you could buy assets but you can also do a lot of fiscal stimulus with some sort of taxation to help pay for that later down the road. And there's something called a Ricardio, uh, Ricardian um, uh, principle or equivalence. And basically it's, well, if I'm going to be taxed later in the future, I may be saving now, and therefore it's, there's not going to be any real stimulus that takes place. That's one theory. Um, so the idea here is, is that you could, you could, um, you know, inject money into, into the banks um, for capitalization, but then it adds, it brings in issues of, well, what if, what if the if you live in a capitalistic society that sounds like you're nationalizing banks? That's one problem. And I believe in Scotland the banks are nationalized. The Royal Bank of Scotland, I think, that is owned actually by the government, or highly a large portion of it is. So certain countries, you know, may have this social issue with capitalism and, and nationalization of the banks. Um, So that's kind of what he, you know, he's he he's proposing is, is you got you can create you can create a lot of money, drop it, you know, tarp and everything else, and a lot of quantitative easing and buy assets of any kind. Um, 
you can do the idea of well if the if the debt is if the debt in the bank on the bank balance sheets are so much the public debt is so high and it's causing fiscal issues then therefore we would need to um, you know monetize it basically do write-offs you you know you're purchasing the debt you print the money and therefore it it no longer is you know, you no longer put it back into the market. You're not going to extinguish it, so that's gone. And you can redo the to reduce the the problems with the banks if they're weak, especially in Europe. They you could recapitalize them, changing some of the legal requirements and how they uh, what their capital ratio should be, or uh, you know how they what is considered actual reserves, you could uh, adjust some legal aspects to how the balance sheet is, is constructed. Um, and you could do, you know, you can actually put capital into, in, into the system. The, the government could actually recapitalize the banks if needed through, through uh, you know, purchasing programs so that's that's the book you know and, and basically his theory is is that there is no easy answer you know you know that debt if it grows too high becomes unstable and there's a system that the system actually starts to um, uh, become fragile and it cracks or it starts to break and there's in this in this the, the banking system becomes so stressed that it shuts down the economy. Um, you can look at it from that point of view. You can also look at it from a personal point of view that a debt increases too much that eventually you can't afford to pay the ever-growing debt and therefore it causes issues. Um, it's intertwined on how the economy grows. Um, you could have technology that's increasing and productivity getting better, but if the debt load on people is becoming so burden burden some that there's such a burden of it that that the people decide well I'm not going to spend anymore or the government says well I can't get it funded because the tax the tax revenue isn't there or the the bond issuances are too high with their yield especially with Greece where you know it's way too high to finance some of this debt for a nation like the United States, where it has low low interest rates, what we have is basically we could issue a bond and still get a decent, you know, interest rate to be able to finance the debt. We're not like Greece, but we do seem to be exhibiting some aspects to balance sheet re, uh, balance sheet reduction or or um, recession because there's a Deleveraging that's taking place in in corporate corporates aren't really doing a lot of capex capex expenditures. They're increasing dividends. They're they're buying share buying shares back. They're not investing in the economy as much as they would, and so there's kind of like this lack of um, entrepreneurism or lack of of, 
of a positive feedback in the system to be able to get the economy growing. So there seems as though at the private level, at the corporate level, do we have this balance sheet recession going on or deleveraging? So the government, you know, has this idea, well, you know, maybe we have to do fiscal stimulus, but even that is an issue because the government has too much debt. So, you know, what do we do? So the basic premise of the book is, is that there is, you know, once you get into a, a, a lot of debt load, and no one knows what the right ratio is, but it's very hard to get out of it. So it's, it's debatable. Can we get out of zero, zero bound monetary policy? He's suggesting to do it, you have to monetize the debt. Um, do debt write-offs and, and uh, kind of inflate your way out of it. And then you'll 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 get you'll get to normalization at the two percent range, and that might be what is needed. Now, Japan went into negative interest rates, um, so that basically means that if you save money, you're actually paying someone to hold it. Now, instead of getting interest, so what that will do is it would it should promote uh, loan growth within the banking industry assuming that people will want to take out the loans. Um, there may be still this idea of deleveraging at the corporate and private level. So it's an experiment that really hasn't been proven out yet. But his, his point is, is that monetizing the debt may be what is needed and you actually need to restructure the currency um, to get back to, from a deflationary point of view, back into you know, normalized inflationary points, two uh, percent or whatever. Question is, is that if the government realizes that they can stimulate the economy by not having the central bank go in and out of the market through um, bond operations, normal bond operations, but the government could just say, "Well, we're not going to increase taxes to pay government." government um, programs, but we're just going to inf create more money to be able to pay for it. Eventually there is this, this cycle, this feedback cycle that will lead to more and more and more and more inflation. And how do you stop that? You might, we might, to get out of zero bound, we might go into higher inflations that we saw in the six, late 60s, 70s, um, and restart the whole cycle again, where just like the dollar smile, the dollar smile is meaning that the dollar is valued high and then it comes down and then it comes back up again. Well, there may be actually a yield curve smile, especially on the front of the curve, that may be, um, you know, in, in the, the amount of years that it takes for a full cycle to happen is 100 years, who knows, or 80 years. We, we don't have enough data to really understand this. So it's, it's a possibility, but his, his main thesis, I think, is that you monetize the debt, debt to be able to get out of the, the deflationary conditions that we're in. So thank you for listening, and have a nice day.